From a two-bedroom apartment on the west side of Los Angeles, it's High on Film! Tonight, we've got Brendan Gallagher and How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. Now I'm gonna get back inside and finish watching Sleepless in Seattle. Nobody screw with me on this week's Frosty episode. Well, hello and welcome to another exciting episode of High on Film Sobering. Talk about movies. We're back in the loving Warm arms of McConuary. After a brief break, um, to mourn the loss of David Bowie and uh, Alan Rickman as well. But now we're back with some more lighthearted fun. The celebration, the the month long party that is McConuary. Mm. Uh, I'm Chris Maxwell, your host. We choose guests, they choose movies. We have a lot of fun. A nice talk back session here about. The best Matthew McConaughey romantic comedy? Question mark. How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days from 2003, episode 156 of High on Film. The movie, directed by Donald uh, Petrie, written by Kristen Buckley, Brian Regan, and Burr Steers, uh, off the book by Michelle Alexander and uh, Jeannie Long. So, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. How about that? Let's get to the characters around the podcast table today. I told you my name, but the man who's right to my left, the podcaster of disaster, the co-host from the couch, the goddamn Brad Davis that God gave us. Brad Davis, the co-host. What's up, man? This month just flies by. So isn't it? Every oh, McConaughey just flies by. I love it so much. Now, of course, two weeks ago, we kicked off McConaughey with uh, The Wedding Planner. Maybe his worst rom-com? Or do you think Failure, failure to Launch is yeah, I haven't below. seen Failure to Launch in a while. Or Ghosts of Girlfriends Past? Failure to Launch, the premise is really stupid. And it's a really bad movie. They're close. But I'd say Failure to Launch is probably worse from what I remember. Yeah, I meant to watch Failure to Launch. Ah, Chris. For this McConaughey. And I... It, I mean, with David Bowie movies and uh, catching up on Oscar noms, I uh, it slipped through the cracks. But you're a busy man. Damn it! By the end of January, I'm gonna watch Failure to Launch. Okay, I'll watch it with. I'm you. sorry, McConaughey. Right. What did I say? Jesus. Yeah. Are you making up words? <laughs> I, I am. January. Um, so I did see this movie, How to Lose a Guy, uh, last year for McConaughey with the gentleman who helped create McConaughey um, back way back when when we had the McConaughey. He is a very talented writer. He was here last week. He's here, it's last week. Two weeks ago. He's here every McConaughey. Mr. Brendan Gallagher. It's good to be here, guys. Thanks for having me. You know, uh, I know some of you getting some snow on the East Coast. I know the holidays seem pretty distant. Let me just tell you, one way to beat the Winter Blues is to celebrate McConaughey. Snuggle up with uh, those muscular arms and watch, watch a chiseled body of work from a great actor. <laughs> a, a southern gentleman, no matter where his character may happen to be from, you know? <laughs> Staten Island. Yeah, now we watched this last year, Brendan, and, and now here we are watching it again. My memory remembers this movie better than uh, I'm I think gonna, it actually I'm is. I'm going to go with worse than I remember, too, and I was just texting with my girlfriend, and she says, A, that she wants me to point out the film is beloved, and so therefore <laughs> I am, I'm in the wrong, uh, and that... She said she'd be friends with Kate Hudson, which I was like, I guess, I don't know, I, I, I'm not interested in uh, friendship with at least the character as portrayed in the film. Oh yes, the character as portrayed in the film is pretty awful. Uh, no one in this movie is really, well, no one, that's, that's a stretch, but Matthew McConaughey and Kate Hudson are not good people in this movie. Yeah, 
Um, and, you know, it's they have every typical rom-com trope scene, but the execution just is always a little off. Yeah. And, you know, I... Maybe I just need to see Ghosts of Girlfriends Past again to hate it more. <laughs> but remembering Ghosts of Girlfriends Past, yes, that movie is not good. But I recall it having more heart than this one. Yeah, that's probably true. This, yeah, this movie doesn't hold up very well. And that sounds a little silly to say, but what is it, 2003? 2003. Yeah, we were saying how it feels like it's from the mid-90s. It feels dated. Okay, well, let's let this lead into something we talked about uh, on The Wedding Planner, was that uh, a Mount Rushmore of rom-coms, right? Uh, the, the four pantheon romantic comedies. Um, what did you just say, Brad, that was leading me into it? Oh, uh, it, see, it feels dated. very 90s. It, yeah, it feels dated. Which is the new, you know, we, we kind of talked about the When Harry Met Sally era which was at the end of the 80s, which ushered in like this onslaught of what we now know today as the rom-com. Um, sure, way back in the 50s, we did have movies uh, that were romantic comedies, but not like they were starting with Harry Met Sally. Uh, Brandon, you mentioned it hits all the tropes. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, two people, uh, you know, your couple, uh, projected couple from disparate backgrounds, or at least they are polar opposites to mm -hmm. begin with. Um, of course, they don't get along. There is the conceit or caveat, like the double bet, or the she's all that, you know, bet to begin with of, Ugh, you dated me on a bet and yeah. now we're in love. Yeah, they fall in love, um, the conceit is revealed, causing a rift, and then you have to ride a motorcycle to go rescue, to make your last impassioned plea. Uh, and then you end in a wedding or an implied wedding. So, um, this movie hits every single one of them. But as for Mount Rushmore, do you think it belongs in the four? No. Washington, Jefferson, uh, Roosevelt, no. and God, Lincoln? No. Um, no. Shall I throw my four out there first? Let's let's kick this. Well, off. okay. Do you have any any sort of parameters you operated under? No. Well, okay. okay let me say this. Uh, I am weak on the golden age uh, rom com. So Roman Holiday, The Apartment, like anything from that era. I don't. I maybe I've seen one or two of them over time but not enough to really, like, get a sense of that era. So, you know, I, I would say everything I'm doing is kind of post-1970, you know, post okay. maybe even post-1980. I'm not sure about one of them might be late 70s. Um, so uh, that being said, you know, I tried to go for, A, I think these are the four best, but I also think they uh, represent different kind of moments and eras in rom-com history. And... Uh, some that I almost included, I felt, were not on here because they're kind of derivative of some of these. So I think originality, quality, how funny is it, and um, influence. Okay. And so I'm going to lead off here. Um, when Harry Met Sally, I think, is the, you know, probably the number one, probably the... Quintessential. The, the beginning of the modern era of rom-com, as you said. Number two... Uh, I think this is the first, this this film gave birth to a lot of, like, the indie rom-com tropes, Annie Hall. Mm. Um, number three, uh, Four Weddings and a Funeral, I think, re kind of reinvigorated the genre, launched Hugh Grant, and a lot of stuff in the 90s and 2000s, I think, owes a lot to that movie. And finally, it's kind of my curveball, but it showed up on a lot of lists, and when I saw it, I said, yeah, that, that works for me, The Princess Bride. 
Interesting. Wow. Yeah, yeah, all right, Brad. Yeah, you should have let him say it anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. That's a, yeah, okay. I I have a problem with Princess Bride a little bit because it's more of an adventure and you're allowed to have love stories and things that are other types of movies. And I would put that almost as a adventure or even romance before I put it at a romantic comedy. But actually, probably more adventure because there's a whole big part where there's no romance at all. And Annie Hall, while I do love that movie, and it is a, it's a bigger uh, conceit than the rest. It kind of fucks with the genre a little more. I wouldn't put it on Mount Rushmore just because it doesn't end in a happy ending. Interesting. Well, I mean, I, for that is not a. I, I get that as far as like what a quintessential rom com. Yeah. Right, but for you, but I think. Like, I'm just kind of. You know, I think the anti rom com is um, as you know, important as important, and I think deserves a slot. And Princess Bride, I hear your point, um, but I will say that there is a genre of movie that is like ostensibly a period piece, but it's kind of like taking modern elements. So, like A Knight's Tale was kind of like that later mm-hmm. on. Um, Shakespeare in Love was kind of like that later on. They're kind of anachronistic, and I think that. I'm going to argue that, and because the very beginning is, it is an adventure, but what is the set, the, the inciting incident, as you wish? Yeah. Well, that's um, your conceit, though, is that it's now is set in this fantasy time, like right. fantasy medieval time. Right? And before any of the adventure starts, we are told that it's because he loved her so much he would do anything for her. Is that true? I think, when, when I was looking up mine, it, you realize how big of a scope saying rom-coms is because it really covers a lot more ground because you think of your Sleepless in Seattle's those you know the McConaughey movies the Hugh Grant movies those are what come to mind but you easily forget how many technically how many movies are romantic comedies Mm -hmm. so yeah Princess Bride wavers a little bit but I'm I'd give it to him I think that makes sense I think it certainly qualifies okay but I hear the argument, of if we're asking, like, what are the platonic ideals of a rom-com, if that's the parameter, maybe it doesn't belong there. Um, Princess Bride is more of a stretch than Annie Hall, I think, because Annie Hall is still a movie that is about romance and is a comedy. True. Therefore, romantic comedy. I, I'll fight for Annie Hall, because I think it makes the kind of romance that happens in, like, Wes Anderson or Noah Baumbach or, you know, a lot of these other movies possible, mm-hmm. in a way. So I think like there's a strong enough tradition and body of work that I think it makes sense. But you know, if you were to tell me, I you think Sleepless in Seattle should be on there instead of Princess Bride, or you think uh, The Apartment should be on there instead of Princess Bride, I I'm totally with that. But I think a for my to my tastes, and I think it represents a very like a pretty robust subsection of rom com movies. If you're writing a romantic comedy, you're looking at these four for your yeah inspiration. I think so. Yeah. yeah. Brad, how's your Mount Rushmore uh, differ? Well, or concur? Uh, it's fu- I haven't seen some older movies as well, like Philadelphia Story too. So I can't obviously put those on my list. But it's funny you bring up the apartment because that is on my list. I love Jack Lemmon. It's a very, it's an old school romantic comedy, and it mostly is Jack Lemmon being the, I, I think what the old school, you know quintessential romantic comedy guy is Mm -hmm. he's the normal guy who's kind of goofy but you really like him he seems so likable uh and Shirley MacLaine it's it all makes sense and he has to overcome the obstacle of the more 
the richer guy who can kind of give her, you know, everything she wants, but the, what she really wants is love, and that's what he can give her. Right, right. Um, when Harry Met Sally is the rom-com. It's, you look at lists, it's number one on every list. It's, I, I have a feeling, and I, I have a feeling that's going to be probably, maybe the only one that's on all of our lists. The only consensus. That's, yeah. that's my feeling. Uh, the next we'll two, my next two are a little more, and, and these are more favorite choices of mine, obviously. Uh, one being Groundhog Day with Bill Murray, which we initially debated whether this is a romantic comedy, but then when or you more of a broad it, comedy, but it very much is a romantic comedy. When you look at it, it's a man, you know, you, you have your situation the same day over and over again, but he's through this changing himself to be a better person to win over the girl who they were polar polar opposites at the beginning. Right, right. And the implied wedding at the end, it all works. Mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. is a rom-com. That is on my... And something I'll say in support of Groundhog Day, because I like that pick, and I also think that, like, the Kaufman movies that came later and Stranger with, Than Fiction, like, a lot of these, like, magical... Ooh, Stranger Than Fiction's a good one I didn't think of. Like, magical, melancholy rom-com like i feel like groundhog day is the blueprint for those interesting so i I think there's a lot to be said in terms of like what influence it had to see i'd almost put annie hall as the blueprint for the the melancholia that may yeah okay i could see that because i think even the i mean i don't find a whole lot of melancholia in uh Groundhog groundhog day even though it is at its core pretty dark but bill murray keeps it he gets, like, he gets dark. Right, it's well, he tries to kill he, himself he, yes. a number of times for a row. So, yeah. <laughs> um, it's funny you bring... Yeah, it is so good. It's funny you bring up Stranger Than Fiction. I mean, that doesn't make my list, but that would that's certainly honorable mention because I do love that movie. Um, but what my fourth pick is, is kind of the beginning or at least one of the updated romantic comedies, the raunchy romantic comedies mm-hmm. uh, that are very, I guess I'll call it Aptalian, mm-hmm. uh, but knocked up is one of my all-time favorite comedies. You know, the loser, stoner guy who knocks up the career-driven business... The career-driven... Yeah. Well, the know, conceit here is that they're already pregnant now, and right. they have to fall in love. And then they're falling in love through the baby. It's... Or through the, you know, the pregnancy. Um, I love it. I think it's hilarious. And, you know, your five-year engagements. This... It came after 40-Year-Old Virgin, but you kind of mm-hmm. have all those uh, super bad... All of those work in... I, Superman's a little different. More coming of age than romantic comedy. Yes, but it, it certainly has romantic comedy elements. They're doing everything yeah. to get the booze for the girl he wants to... Right, but it's about their friendship. Jonah Hill and uh, Michael Starr's friendship more yeah, than it there is, is actually, their well, girlfriend. Well, it's actually a romantic comedy between the two guys. Well, that's what's yeah. interesting. Well, they start I love off, you, They break apart. Yes, I love you, man, as well. That's an interesting question. I mean, I like that pick a lot. I, I co-signed Knocked Up as a pick. <laughs> but I will say what's interesting about the app, the Epitovian mm-hmm. uh, yeah. rom-com is he does the bromance, and now he has moved to the, like, you know, hopefully Trainwreck ushers in an era of female-driven rom-coms from him which would be cool so i think he's subverted the drama the genre in a lot of ways but i i i think in terms of like what's come out this century i think that's a strong choice and i think it's better than 40 year old virgin which is why i prefer agree yeah, why agree. i prefer knocked up and yeah and the i love you man call it's a good movie but it is a very funny subversion of it because it is really about two guys becoming friends yeah and, and it hits all the those story. tropes yes, because there is a wedding at the end of that film like yes. it's great and he asked him to be his best man. It's pretty great. Yeah. Uh, 
My Mount Rushmore went with no subversions. I went like straight romantic comedy. I actually tried to equate them to the presidents uh, on Mount Rushmore. Interesting. Okay. So my Washington, I'm putting as the Philadelphia story. I mean, big names, really, really puts a, a stamp in the ground of, of romantic comedies. Um, classic love triangle conceit. Great. Uh, my Jefferson is When Harry Met Sally. My Lincoln is Four Weddings and a Funeral. Um, and then one that has not been mentioned, my Roosevelt. Pretty Woman. Strong. Strong picks. Pretty Woman's not as revolutionary, one. but a good movie with, I mean, Richard Gere and Julia Roberts are both great in that film. Uh, they're like really delightful. Um, yeah, maybe not the strongest movie on that Mount Rushmore, but I think might be one of the highest grossing of the four. Well, let me Wait, who was your Washington? There. Sorry. Uh, Philadelphia Story. Oh, Philadelphia Story. Yeah, yeah. Pretty Woman. So I think we might be a little young to fully appreciate the impact of Pretty Woman. Because like when we were kids, every parent's VHS collection, what's in there? Pretty Woman. Pretty Woman, yeah. And when people talk about Julia Roberts, when like Brockovich came out and we were kids... All the moms were like, yeah, but you see her in Pretty Woman. She was so beautiful in Pretty Woman. So I think... She is. I just uh, watched it, actually, in its entirety for the first time. And it is... She is gorgeous. Yeah. You watch that movie and you, everyone realized at the same moment, like, oh, she's going to be a <laughs> major star. Did that make America fall in love with Julia Roberts? That's exactly what it did. Um, yeah. I, I they made that. her... America's sweetheart. Yeah, I, I'm totally with it. I mean, I, I, it's it's interesting. America's sweethearts. I love America's sweethearts. Almost made my list. It's interesting, like what movies endure, um, and we understand their influences, like when Harry met Sally, and what movies kind of don't like have the as much staying power a generation later. Like I think about that also with like Forrest Gump. You know, mm -hmm. that at the time it was like we got to talk about Forrest Gump. It's such a great movie, whatever. And then legacy wise, like who watches that? Who who puts on Forrest Gump, not... Middle watch. school teachers. Yeah, or someone who still has cable, <laughs> that you know, kids to and just sits around and has the TV on, you know? Yeah. And so I think, I, I like it. I like your picks, Chris. Thanks, man. Um, yeah, I mean, Annie Hall, Knocked Up. I, I do love these movies, but I, as far as the Mount Rushmore, I don't think they quite break the rom, romantic comedy pantheon for Well, me. yeah, like, you're uh, speaking a little more on the, the importance to the genre, mm -hmm. where... I mean, Knocked Up for me is more of a personal pick. Like, yeah. I just love well, that That's an important... Yeah, I mean, well, like, the Apatovian response has shifted the way rom-coms have gone. Yeah, that's like, true. And, that's I, true. And, I, and I would also say that Brad and I... to the theater to see rom-coms. Brad and I paid some credence to, like, different strains of the rom-com. And I think, like you said, you went for the core... You know, and I do think, you know, I don't love Sleepless in Seattle, but I think it needs to be acknowledged in Agreed. that. Agreed. That, like, I don't love you're it. You're talking about, like, yeah, what, what are the essential, you know... There's an alien race that comes to Earth and is like, what is a rom-com? Um, <laughs> then you, I think Chris is four, or probably the four. But, I, you know, that you could also Sweet. look at it like what's important the to film the... film advisor for this alien race. Yeah, congratulations. <laughs> what a job. Yeah. I know, and it's, it's weird that it's up to me to appoint it. But, you know. All right, Emperor Zork, listen today. <laughs> today we got some movies to watch. Listen, I hope you brought your notebook. We're doing rom-coms today. I know you love them. Uh... Guys, uh, that, that's great. Thank you. I'm glad we, we got that uh, hanging Chad taken care of from two weeks ago. Uh, let's get into some Trash Star Destroy. Uh, 
Three movies of a similar ilk. One you must trash, which means eliminated from existence. One you get to star in in whatever role you'd like to take for yourself. And the third movie, of course, must be destroyed, which means the only version has been written and directed by Mr. Michael Bay of Bad Boys 2 fame. So, let's do, since this is McConaughey, let's do uh, a thing we came up with in the last year, uh, tent poles for actors and directors. Uh, their first movie, their award-winning movie, and their highest-grossing movie. So that makes Matthew McConaughey's tent poles, Dazed and Confused, Dallas Buyers Club, and Interstellar. <laughs> Trash, star, destroy. <laughs> yeah, uh, unfortunately this is an audio podcast, so you couldn't see Brendan's face. But what I said, Interstellar. I was talking to someone about this yesterday. Um, Interstellar came up, and I was like, never has a movie been as enjoyable an experience for me in the theater that just got worse and worse with each passing day looking back at it. Like, is this on a bookshelf? Yeah. How did that fucking work? Yeah. Why do you do that? I have not hated a movie that much in a long time. And there are worse movies, don't get me wrong, but I hate Interstellar. And what? I have and if you want to see every reason why you should hate Interstellar, go watch the honest trailer of Interstellar. It perfectly breaks down everything that's wrong with it. Well, yeah, it speaks to you. <laughs> it does. It's per, it's the best one. Well, it's like it, I think part of hatred of a movie is betrayal, and I think that's like why I hated Steve Jobs so much. Because it's like, oh man, this should be interesting. And then it just isn't. Yeah, yeah and Nolan, and it's a two hour and 45 fucking minute movie. Unforgivable. Unforgivable. Well, and they just sidestep all the problems of Earth dying. <laughs> and it's like, uh, no, no. It's not about um, Earth, it's about uh, love. Casey Affleck is pissed. <laughs> like, there's 45 minutes of that. Yeah. And he, it's not essential to the plot one iota. <laughs> and Jessica Chastain throws papers in the air and yells, Eureka. Yeah. <laughs> Forgot about that. Uh, I don't know how Christopher Nolan convinced her to do that. Mm -hmm. But anyway, but Trash anyway. Star Destroy. Trash Star Destroy. So, Interstellar, his highest grossing film to date. Yeah. Dallas Buyers Club, his Academy Award winning film. And Dazed and Confused, his very first movie. I'm trashing Interstellar immediately. I'm going to star in Dazed and Confused as... God, I've chosen Dazed and Confused before, and I can never remember who I've picked in the past. I'll take the lead character, Pink Floyd. Yeah. Randall. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's a great role. And it could be done better. Uh, nothing against whatever London brother that yeah. is. Yeah. Jason. Uh, good. Um, and then I will give Dallas Buyers Club to Michael Bay which is going to ruin that film. But if you still have McConaughey and uh, Jared Leto in it... <laughs> well, hey, Michael Bay did just uh, tackle Benghazi, so why not tackle uh, AIDS? Yeah, very <laughs> successful tackling. Yeah. I mean, well, if you still have It's the... not as bad as I thought it was going to be, to be honest. It's not. But because he uh, keeps uh, it very apolitical. It is all about a hero's story rather than anything political. R.I.P. John Krasinski's A-list career 2016 to 2016. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, unfortunately... As Emily Blunt's star rises, John Krasinski so awesome. sinks into the bay. Yeah. Wow. I still he was the best part of that movie. <laughs> I'll never know. Yeah, maybe I'll, actually. <laughs> I'll never get to find out, yeah, so I'll he, take your word. That's for probably it. true. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yes, Dallas Buyers Club. You still have the performances of McConaughey and Jared Leto, regardless of what Bay does to it. So worst things have happened. Alright. Yeah, I, I'm gonna give Michael Bay Interstellar. I mean, that would actually make me that would renew my excitement for that movie and probably Put my expectations at a say, proper level. Lower your expectations. Um, and I guess I'm going to trash Dallas Buyers Club. 
because I'm going to be in Days and Confused, and I'm going to be Mitch, the Wiley Wiggins part, because I was probably about that age when that movie came out that I could have played that middle school kid and been in a cool Richard Linklater movie. Um, but yeah, then I guess Matthew McConaughey's Oscar goes away. But then who gets it that year? Uh, I don't know. Someone probably very deserving. Oh, Elijah Four? <laughs> Someone probably deserving. Yeah, oh yeah, Ajaya Four? Yeah, Ajaya Four. God, I always She would tell Ajaya Four for 12 Years a Slave. Yeah. And but then we wouldn't get the McConaughey Oscar speech, though, and that's where we're really losing. That is. That's where we all lose. Oh, man. Good point. Oh, well. But that's What's done is done. Hey, what choice did you have? Um, I'm going to destroy Interstellar. You know, similar. I, I echo Brad's emotions. But I didn't trash hate. or destroy? Sorry, sorry. Trash, trash. Um, I will destroy Dallas Buyers Club. Uh, I mean, yeah, the movie's fine. Like, uh, we really, we're not, like, that's another one, like, yeah, it's, you know, good McConaughey performance, but no one's going to watch that in five years, I think. Like, we feel that way about, uh, people have been bringing up Crazy Heart a lot, and, like, I've been listening to things, I think, because we're in the Oscar race and some similar career trajectories and it's like no one's gonna rewatch crazy heart no one's no one's throwing that on <laughs> all right you go okay well we gotta give him the oscar and then i was even i was even less interested in it because i realized it's basically a remake without being called a remake of tender mercies which won oh. robert duvall an oscar i think that would be the wrong actor but basically it's the same movie from the 80s interesting like Dallas, i never saw crazy heart point by point it's like almost to say it you know i think it's robert it's a, I'm sure we can, you know, everyone out there, you go ahead and IMDb it. Um, call in, if you know the name in, of the movie, please, call the in. name of the actor. Uh, or we could use our phones, who knows. <laughs> um, and then uh, I'm going to star in Days and Confused in the McConaughey role. Mm. <laughs> Making the career. I mean, I just want to say the line, you know. The, the Which one? School. There's so many. <laughs> oh, uh, the thing about high school High school girls? girls? Yeah, that's the... That's the that's a top ten line in movie older, history. They stay the same they stay age. Same age. I mean, how many times have we, and by we I mean straight men, said that line to other straight men in a bar or at a party? Yeah. And you are lying if you're saying under a thousand. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I can't confirm, Brendan. It was Robert Duvall. He did win an Oscar. And the the uh, the log line of the movie or the summary of the movie is a broken down middle aged country singer gets a new wife, reaches out to his long lost daughter, and tries to put his troubled life back together. You're not fooling anybody, Crazy Heart. <laughs> we know it now. How did no one mention <laughs> this? Yeah, right. I don't I know. At the time, nobody was like, "That's a what's, fucking rip-off. What's the log line for Crazy Heart? Please yeah, read I'll, me the log line. For I will Crazy do Heart. that. And I stumbled because I haven't seen it. Because it'd be I, a lot cooler if you did. When I stumbled across it, I was like, "You gotta be shitting me." That is hilarious. That's a, that's a double feature to come here on High on Film, is mm. what we should do. I'd love that. Uh, and while Brad looks that up, let's... A faded country music musician is forced to reassess his dysfunctional life during a doomed romance that also inspires him. Sounds pretty similar. Uh, Bad, Bad Blake is a broken down, hard living country music singer who's had way too a country singer who has had way too many marriages, far too many years on the road, and one too many drinks, way too many times. And yet, Bad can't help but reach for salvation with the help of Gene, a journalist who discovers the real man behind the musician. <laughs> and like the Colin Farrell part, like Duvall's ex-wife is like still a famous country singer. Like it is beat for beat. Like I mean, I ha again, I haven't seen Tender Mercy. I just read the Wikipedia, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but I was like, come on, guys, really? Well. I mean, hey, maybe later in the year we'll uh, compare and contrast. We've always talked about doing... Uh, double features. Double features. I would love that. Uh, all right, guys. Um, one more Trash Star Destroy category as our time of the podcast ticks away. Um, because there's an awesome trailer out for 10 Cloverfield Lane, 
and the movie we just watched has the number 10 in it. Let's do three movies with 10 in the title. Uh, we'll do How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, we'll do The Ten Commandments, and we'll do American History 10. <laughs> <laughs> Like, ten things I hate about you is right there, and he just went the way around not to pick it. American History X. Uh, I think it's a little more of an interesting category if uh, we don't Agreed. leave, if we don't put two romantic comedies in there. So wait, what is it again? Uh, American History X, Ten Commandments, How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days. Um... I mean, I guess I'm gonna start... So it's movie a... ten with Bo Derek. I mean, that's... I think I'm going to star in American History X in the Edward Furlong role. Okay. Uh, it's a tough, fucked up movie, obviously, but it's pretty good. And Edward Norton's awesome in it. And to work across from him in that movie would probably be interesting. You might learn a thing or two. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm going to trash How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. And... This is really the main reason I made all these decisions. <laughs> I want Michael Bay to do the Ten Commandments. Yeah. Because, of course. Man, that is really a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> I can't pass up an opportunity like this. These don't come around every day. No, they don't. A Cecil B. DeMille film, now by Michael Bay. Shown every Easter. Yes, yes. <laughs> we watch a Michael Bay movie every Easter. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> Brendan, what are you thinking? Um, I'm going to star as God in the Ten Commandments. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Good role. <laughs> not, uh, not, not, not an ego, egotistical pick whatsoever. Yeah, I don't even know if God has lines in Ten Commandments. Oh, he does. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Moses. <laughs> yeah. Take these commandments down to your people. Dude, easiest paycheck you can get right there. <laughs> yep. Um, Great voiceover. You, you're the voice of a burning bush. Perfect. Um, I'm going to have Bay direct How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days because that motorcycle scene would have been dumb. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> and I guess, I mean, American History X like, is by like, easily the best movie of these, but uh, I'm, I'm trashing it. I, I don't need to see Michael Bay get political. All right. Yeah, you won't, actually. He'll take the politics right out of it and just make it a story about... Two brothers. Uh, yeah, two, two brothers. <laughs> yeah, his version of American History X will be like, yeah, two guys who are on the sidelines who, you know, were tangentially involved. Yeah, but learn to, like, love each other yeah. rather than anything about race. Um, I kind of want Michael Bay's How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, to be honest with you. Michael Bay and Matthew McConaughey is a combination I would watch. Can't believe it hasn't happened yet. It's coming. Great. Probably. Just, just you wait. Yeah, we'll see. Um, boy. And then I, I guess I'm going to be in Ten Commandments, man. Why not be Moses? Sorry, Charlie. Um, yeah, I'm going to do that and then Trash American History X. <laughs> Charlie Heston. Sorry, I'm Charlie. I'm glad you apologize yeah. to him on the air. I want a big staff in part of Red Sea. That'd be great. And then again, to be in the movie that's watched every single Easter by a lot of Americans. That's, that's some good residuals. All right, guys, uh, we got to take a break. We are way over time. Uh, it is time for the first break of the podcast. We are going to uh, pause here. We are going to have a coin flip from our good friends at uh, Toincost, who made us a three-sided Matthew McConaughey coin, and we'll be right back with some games worth some points after this. And we're back, high on film, right in the middle of the podcast. Uh, how to lose a guy in ten days. It's time for the summary game. Uh, zero to two points for each person around the table. 
we will each take a turn at summarizing how to lose a guy in 10 days in a thousandth of the time that it actually takes to watch. A 116-minute movie, just under two hours, supplies us each with 11.6 seconds to get your summary out and be judged appropriately. Now, of course, we did have our patented coin toss with our three-sided, copper-plated, Abraham Lincoln, Lincoln Lawyer, Lincoln Motor Company coin. And Brad, you want to tell everybody what happened? I won. <laughs> yep, there it is. I won. <laughs> you won. Again. <laughs> so you're going to go first, second. I picked the Lincoln Lawyer and I won. Or third. I'm going to go first. The Lincoln Lawyer. Always. One day we'll watch that for a McConaughey. Yeah, you can't wait. All right, Brad, 11.6 seconds to summarize how to lose a guy in 10 days. In 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. To get an account, an ad executive uh, says he can get a girl to fall in love with him. To write a great article, she says that she can get a guy uh, away from her in 10 days, and they both end up falling in love in the process and end up together. Time. Not too bad. Yeah. Yeah. Under time. Yeah. You're great, Brad. I, I figured I was going to be cutting a little closer. Uh, all right. So, Christopher. Yep. Your turn. My uh, turn. What is it again? Sorry. 11-6. 11-6. <clears throat> all right. Wow, this movie's that long? Jesus. Yeah. 11-6. Uh, In three, two, one. An ad exec and a uh, women's fashion magazine uh, writer uh, make opposing bets, essentially, that they won't fall in love with each other. They do, despite their best efforts, uh, only to hurt each other and then fall in love at the end. Time. Ah, pretty good. That was pretty good. Pretty, pretty good. Well, thank you. All right, Brendan. The time has come. 11.6 in three, two, one. A young journalist is assigned an article in which she tries to lose a guy in 10 days. The man she picks up a bet with his co-workers that he can make any woman fall for him. Hijinks ensue before they finally admit they're in love with each other. All right. Time. Damn, Brendan. Not bad at all. Thank you, sir. This is zero to two. Yeah. It's funny, we had this conversation yeah. two weeks ago. <laughs> I've been on this show literally a dozen times, <laughs> and I have no idea how it works. That's all right. One day I'm going to put the point values on the scorecards. <laughs> so. Laminate them. Yeah, exactly. Sharpies. Yeah, <laughs> I can't wait. Uh, yeah, essentially, that, that's right. We did all neglect to mention that they're both huge Knicks fans. Oh, well, uh, kind of. We'll <laughs> get into that. It? We will get into, into that. that. <laughs> um, but yeah, before we get into that, let's do some first impressions. Zero to three points this time. We're each going to do a line from How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days to the best of our ability. Uh, and I believe it's my turn to go first. Brendan, are you ready for my favorite line from How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days? I'm ready. It's a little bit of a, of a speech from McConaughey, uh, setting up his own bet, essentially. Talking about how he can sell diamonds, what love really means, and it leads to, you know, his co-worker rivals go, oh, so you can just make any woman fall in love with you? And he's talking about his and her towels, L-O-V-E. I've never been ready, more, than, more ready for anything. I'm not talking about lust. A woman in lust wants chocolate. A woman in love wants diamonds. Yeah, I'm not talking about lust either, ladies. I'm talking about deep, meaningful, head over heels, his and her towels, let's grow old together, L-O-V-E. All right, Brendan, whenever you are, ready. I'm not talking about lust either, ladies. I'm talking about deep, meaningful, head over heels, his and her towels, let's grow old together, L-O-V-E.
Great job. That's great. You are really refining yeah. your McConaughey yeah. impression. It's, it's over the years. Just over the years of McConaughey. How many hours of doing something until it qualifies as a hobby? I'll tell you. <laughs> You've reached it. I think we bypassed hobby at this point. I think we're on our way to being McConaughey experts. What? Life's passion. Brandon's <laughs> <laughs> our resident McConaughey expert. That's, that's true. God, if I could have that Chiron under me on television someday, McConaughey Maddie expert. McConaughey expert. Oh. Hey. You know, I, I don't think it's going to take too many more of these podcasts to actually officially put that on a resume. Many looked down on his rom-com period, but without this time, would he have become the actor we know him as today? I doubt it. <laughs> no, it, the rom-coms gave him the money and the freedom to do whatever he wanted. <laughs> Little movies like Mud and Killer Joe. There you go. Killer Joe, so good. Brendan, you want to give Brad a line? I do. Um, this line <laughs> is kind of muddled. Um, so we'll have to listen to it, but it involves, um, talking about how he's offended that his penis has been named and something about a horse. Yeah. In a shrink scene, yeah. Yeah, yeah, with Catherine Hahn, the great Catherine Hahn. Love Catherine Hahn. You have a problem. Look, 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 wait a minute. The, the one night that we even thought about getting close to having sex, all right, she up and decides she's going to nickname my... Penis. Yeah. Princess Sophia. Ha! Huh? You want to talk about shooting a man's horse? Wah! I Come on! It was a beautiful name. Mm, I mm. see, Benjamin. Man, I will listen to that "wha" come on over and over and over again. That is awesome, and I can't wait to hear you do it, Brad. <laughs> All right. All right. Look, wait a minute. The one night we even thought about getting close to having sex. All right, she up and decides she's going to nickname my penis. Yeah, Princess Sophia. You want to talk about shooting a man's horse? Whop! Come on! <laughs> Great job, Brad. Yeah. Great job. You could use a little more country uh, Yeah, I, it was. It was as soon as I started. I knew it was a little off, yeah. but I just had to kind of go forward with as is. I couldn't get his. That good old boy accent comes out stronger when he starts talking about horses. Yeah, I know it does. <laughs> Whop! Come and on! Arm down too. The Staten Island horses. The Staten Island horses. Because his family is from Staten Island, right? His New York cop brother, his hard-working nurse sister, his family with a big house on the water. But he has a southern accent. <laughs> Can't explain it. You got a line for me, Brad? I do. We're going to go with another McConaughey line. Ugh, because great. Because of course. Of course we have to. It's McConaughey. So this is a scene with uh, McConaughey and his two friends, played by Adam Goldberg and Thomas Lennon. Uh, Kate Hudson has left her purse on purpose, at uh, McConaughey's place the night before, and they are looking at the purse on McConaughey's desk, the three guys, and uh, they are debating whether to go through it, and McConaughey breaks down exactly what a woman's purse is. It's hardly a purse, dude. It's more like a clutch or something. Guys, a woman's purse, all right? It's her secret source of power, all right? There are many dark and dangerous things in there that we, the male species, should know nothing about. Mm, almost says his famous catchphrase. Only two all rights. So close. <laughs> so close. <clears throat> Here we go. Guys, a woman's purse, all right? It's her secret source of power, all right? There's many dark and dangerous things in there that we, the male species, should know nothing about. Not great. Not great. Not great. I mean, you had like... What about weaker performance? Yeah, you had the southern twang, but it's not yeah. the McConaughey yeah. southern twang. I dare yeah, say like right. it was like George W. Bush doing an impression of McConaughey. Yeah, that was exactly was what it was. 
Yeah. You guys see that Matthew McConaughey movie? Yeah. <laughs> yep. All right, all right, all right. When we have an opportunity, if we have time, I'd love to also just bring up McConaughey's legacy. Um, I see no better reason uh, okay. than in the McConaughey so, I was thinking about this as we were going through these lines and hearing how ridiculous they were. Future generations, do they say, wow, that great actor spent so much time in these rom-coms before he really hit his stride? Or do, do they say, why the fuck did they give an Oscar to this guy? Interesting. That's that's two sides. That's the two sides of the coin. Isn't that kind of what we debated last year during McConaughey? Yeah, I think we. And I, think and we I was the lawyer out. for the defense, uh, and I think <laughs> yes. I, I won the the day. You did, but you know, I <laughs> I just wonder, is it you know who who does his trajectory compare to that we've had before? Like who is or among current day actors, who does he remembered alongside? I mean, no one's McConaughey. Yeah, like he's gonna be his own thing. I mean, I make jokes about the Oscar speech, but that Oscar speech is so fucking crazy. Like, there's not many people who so fall into that category. We can yeah. rest assured that Leo and Damon will be remembered as better. Yeah. For sure. More Clooney, consistent. Clooney better. Yeah. Yeah. Pitt better. Yeah. Yep. And yeah. also more, more prestigious, too, mm -hmm. because these guys are also now not only directing, it, or they're also directing and producing Oscar-caliber movies. Right. Which Matthew McConaughey is not directing or really producing. He's just doing his thing, man. Yeah. Although he's producing. He J produces. JKL Films, or whatever it is. Just keep living. Just keep I living. Produce. Yeah, he did True produce Detective. and Surfer Dude. Oh, and, and Surfer Dude. Well, Again. Pro producer credits on TV are suspect. Yeah. Yes, well, producer credits in general are a little suspect. True. But they, he certainly had the wherewithal to make that decision which was very smart for him it's, it's, it's interesting because like we can definitely say his career is better than a gerard butler or like any oh, of the kind of fly-by-night but i would say that of the like alishes of his generation okay a acting career comparison directing aside mm -hmm. ben affleck mcconaughey better or worse i think there i think that's the closest Oh, interesting. As far as checkered with some prestige, but then a lot of things to sink that prestige. If yeah. you take the directing out of it, they're very close. Yeah. But because of the directing, because of his making an Oscar winning right. film, yeah. it is Affleck tip, the scales tip to Affleck. That's true. Not, not a bad comparison, though. Yeah, very close. That's actually probably the best comparison you can make. And I mean, he definitely is ahead of Ryan Reynolds, we can say, right? We haven't seen Deadpool yet. No. <laughs> I do like Ryan Reynolds, but yeah, he's not yeah. a celebrated actor. He's yeah. very likable. It's actor. like McConaughey is the only like B plus list actor in Hollywood. Yeah, uh, I would say A minus. Okay, a -minus. I mean he's got an Oscar now. It's A minus. A minus is better. Yeah. A minus is a, a minus lister. I yeah. like that. Like he has the prestige, but you're like, really? You're not trusting every movie he comes out with. I think that's what you like love the about new him. one where he is a. He's in the Civil War, oh, and he's telling buddy, everyone to like black people can't wait to in the South or something. Can't wait to buzz off. <laughs> I mean, we that movie can't be better than like a six and a half out of ten, like more than a. <sighs> well, I mean, this year he has like three movies coming out, so we're gonna see if the reconnaissance continues, or if it ended with stopped in his tracks. Yeah. If it ended with Interstellar. Yeah. Gosh, I can't wait to, to post more than that. Well, uh, let, let's continue post-morteming the How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days movie <laughs> and get into some scene work. Of course, we start things optimistically here. To do to do Best scene! Boy, oh boy, what's the best scene in How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days? I think much like Wedding Planner, because I said in Wedding Planner the best scene 
wasn't a scene and it was Judy Greer. Mm -hmm. And I think in this movie, between Catherine Hahn, Adam Goldberg, Thomas Lennon, B.B. Newworth, it's more the supporting cast. But if I'm going to say a specific scene, it's the singing You're So Vain to one another. That's your best scene? Uh, it is so bad. It's so enjoyable. Neither one can sing. Uh. They're spilling all their dirty laundry on stage in front of all of their co-workers and professional people at this unveiling of this account on their most important night. It's just a train wreck. You have people, Thomas Lennon making funny little, and Adam Goldberg making funny little comments on the side. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Somebody even says this is the worst thing I've ever seen. Yep. It is in a train wreck. And it sounds terrible. I know they're supposed to be tone deaf, but it's unbearable to listen to. What's what's <laughs> the one line they say? Adam Goldberg, I think, says, nothing worse than tone deaf, drunk. Tone deaf and drunk is not a good combination. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Although, there is that funny part when Matthew McConaughey repeats... You name my penis, name my penis, <laughs> name my penis. That was kind of funny. It was great. Yeah. It's awful, but it's it was the most enjoyable moment of the movie for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Throughout the movie, I was thinking, man, better physical comedians would have really done a good job with this. Now, McConaughey's strength is cool, collected cowboy, which is not the way... This is written. And <laughs> no. that's why, in some ways, um, Ghost of Girlfriends Past and Wedding Planner, while awful movies, at least McConaughey is the shining spot. But this movie, the way it's built, it does not play to his strengths. And I don't think Kate Hudson has strengths. <laughs> and so as a result, like every time they like, she's goofy and wide-eyed, and he's trying to be charming, or like, there's just so much that could have been done that's just left on the table. And that's why for me. Brad's best scene is my worst scene because I mm. think about imagine two like just people that could sing. Imagine Stephen Colbert in that part instead of um, McConaughey or really any comedic actor who has pipes whatsoever. Yeah, and imagine any girl who could sing. And most leading actors, you know, not most, but a lot of them are called on to sing at different points in their career. Absolutely, so you have all these options, but just at that time. Those were the A-listers that would commit to this. Yeah. Um, and so that is... Um, but, you know, that's not what we're talking about yet. We're talking about the best scene. And the best scene for me, which is all this leads up to, is I think the bullshit scene is the best scene because the only one that's trying to be funny. It just does its job. It's a charming it's scene. Yeah, I like the bullshit scene. I agree. It's my best scene as well. I think it's the most clever part of this movie, that these two people who are lying to each other are then engaged, fall in love over a game that... It involves lying to your, you know, fellow players. This blew my mind, dude. Yeah, right? And it's the first time in the movie where Kate Hudson is playing a kind of a normal person. <laughs> and she's not intolerable. And I seriously mean that. Like, she's kind of lovely in that scene. And charming. And all of that. And it's the only point in the movie where she comes off as very likable. Yeah. Although you do have a farting uncle. Which is Chris, pretty, you need a farting on pretty low brow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I just the the whole movie. You're thinking with Kate Hudson, like, what what motivation does she really have to do this? Like, we don't. There's no stakes for her because she's doing fine at the office. Yeah, she's not gonna get fired. It's the fastest growing thing. You just, hey, I messed up the article because I found my husband. And this article is supposed to be help, helping her friend, played by Catherine Hahn who just went through a tough breakup. Which makes no sense. Which makes no sense. Like, she's supposed to be writing about her life story is the original uh, pitch. It's like, who wants to take Michelle's breakup and use it for material? And she goes, I'll do it. 
I will do everything my friend Michelle does and show how she's driving men away. Like, yeah, that doesn't accomplish anything. Yeah, thanks for helping me out, friend. And this, I don't know, I don't want it, this kind of transitions into worst scene pretty well. Well, for let's me. let's go ahead and just delve right into worst okay. scene. I think we can open those floodgates. I mean, there's a lot of worst scenes, but I think the premise of this film and both, like we brought up the why uh, Kate Hudson's doing this. The why McConaughey's doing this, which is a bet with his company to prove a geek, a woman can fall in love with him, so he gets this diamonds account. Right, well, he's talking very egotistically. Yeah. And the women at the table are like, oh, this pompous asshole. Right. You and may, of course, yeah, yeah, and then, so that's the stakes is this diamond adver advertising. Right, and they both get the same, pitch. they both have to woo a person, they both end up getting the same people. They both end up finding out at the same time. Although that is because McConaughey's adversaries, uh, Olivia Munn 1.0, I believe, as you called her. I don't know if they're ever given names. I don't think, uh, yeah, but they, they set it up so that they pick her knowing she's already writing this article. I understand. So I, I, I believe that conceit. Like, I just think it's dumb. I think everything about it's well, dumb. Well, sure. Yeah. That's, the whole, that's a huge problem in this movie is the premise is convoluted and doesn't really make sense and isn't really justifiable. Yeah. All right. Brendan, you want to continue with your uh Yeah, I mean, I, I, I needed it to kind of seg into my best, so I'll just repeat that. I, yeah, I thought the year so vain was the worst, and it, it just was the culmination of a lot of physical gags that the actors had no gifts to pull off and a lot of witty repartee that the writer imagined that, or the writers imagined they were executing that they weren't. And Marvin Hamlish, literally for no reason, doesn't sing or play any of his songs, has like two lines after being introduced, and then you hear him pluck a few notes at a, on a piano before, I think, trumpets take over and you're so vain. Right. It was like someone wrote a very solid outline and gave it to the writer, and the writer had no skills to pull off that outline. Yeah. Uh, I'm with you there. You're so vain might be my worst scene. Uh, although, the, the, the Nick's allegiance from Andy is... Ridiculous. All over the place. Yeah. Because she claims to be a really big sports fan, but then everything she does to write this piece, which could easily be operated around uh, the Knicks uh, championship schedule, she schedules direct indirect conflict so that she herself can't watch two of the games. Or is at least very difficult to watch. She's like going right. into the kitchen of the restaurant to watch the game yeah. and then literally misses the other game to go to a Celine Dion concert. Right, yeah. right, exactly. I mean, don't take this as like men's right activism because I certainly don't subscribe to that, but there's a lot of sensitivity to like women don't act like that, women don't talk that way. But when I watch rom-coms or like hour-long dramas and it's like, oh, the boys are playing poker again, or, oh, boys in their sports. Like, it's always, like, sitcoms clearly are a much more macho genre, so they tend to get it right. Yeah. But, like, there's just so many little things of, like, yeah, New York sports doesn't work that way. Sports fandom doesn't work that way. Right. At the beginning of the movie, she has finals tickets for the Knicks, and she's excited to go. But, Beyond excited. Yeah, but like, she misses a whole game just so they can go to a Celine Dion concert. Like, that's not... If she's that much of a fan, there's no way in hell you make that jump. You're like, you know what? That sacrifice. Like, Absolutely. It, male it, or female. It, the sports fandom here is like one of the most egregious examples ever next to uh, that NFL commercial where everyone in the family gets their oh. sports allegiances based on like who they date and where they have their <sighs> yeah. job. Don't get know, me started on that the commercial. Parents we'll be like, here all night. <laughs> <laughs> 
We'll be here. We'll do oh, an entire an entire high on film on that commercial. Yeah, the the guy ran into Ben Roethlisberger once, so now he's a Steelers fan. Like what? Yeah. Running into Ben Roethlisberger in person would not make you a Steelers. It's usually fan. the opposite. <laughs> and, and it's just like you're telling me in writing that copy, you didn't have the time to find like one guy who likes sports to run it by. Yeah, you know? like just walk outside anywhere <laughs> in the country. Find a guy and be like, because this makes sense. Like, that's fucking dumb. Dude. Even yeah. a lot of girls. Yeah. Most and, girls yeah, would be like, right. this doesn't make fucking sense. Yeah. That's true. I know girls who have not left their teens for guys. And no. Here we are. I believe one of the daughters does. Yes. The only way that happens And then they is raise Bengals the, kids. The parents pressured the kid to be a fan of the thing. They never really liked the thing. And then their significant other makes them a fan of the thing. Right. So they might have a Going Bears... from zero fanship to... Yeah, they might have a Bears jersey that was a hand-me-down, but they never appreciated the sport until they were shown the light. Yeah. And there it is, the theme song for Milking It, the final game of the podcast. Zero to five points this time for each player involved. You can't opt out of it, so it's all of us. Uh, we're going to need a title and a quick summary of a new way... To look at... Are we talking about uh, opting out? <laughs> you know what? I'm good with my my zero to five points. I already got... I'm it's good. Like, she's not blackjack. You can't go over. You're sitting this hand out. Like, I've, been on, I've been on this show a bunch, and I may not know the rules, but I know opting out of something with points is not a good idea. That's just true. Wise words from a seasoned veteran. Yeah, future guests, take note. Don't let Chris fool you. No, I said you can't opt out. <laughs> I'm enforcing the rules here. Uh, we got the big box of prequels, sequels, reboots, and genres. Uh, we're each going to draw a card, and on that card we'll give you a new way to reimagine, repurpose, and reuse the ideas, the characters, the themes, the plot from How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days to make a brand new movie and put it back out there for a billion more dollars for the studio system. <sighs> okay. Whose turn is it? Brendan? Sure. Give her a draw. A buddy cop movie. Interesting. Brad Davis. All right. All right. What we all wanted. The sequel. The sequel. Oh, I'm very interested in uh, your title more than anything. <laughs> and my card. Oh, and here we go. Now to uh, debate the Princess Bride theory. Epic adventure. Ooh. There we go. Uh, time for our second break of the show, and we will be right back with three brand new movies for your listening enjoyment right after this. Hello, fellow cinephiles. It's me. You know me, Chris, the host. Remember me? Well, I'm just taking a moment to tell you about a new dysfunctional family comedy called This Is Happening. It's on VOD Everywhere. It stars James Wolfe from Mad Men, Mickey Sumner from Francis Ha, Judd Nelson, Cloris Leachman. It's about a brother, a sister, a fugitive grandma, five pounds of pot. You know the age-old story. No, support independent film and uh, order This Is Happening On Demand Everywhere now. It's really funny. It's a great film. I saw it. I ordered it. I loved it. You should too. And go back and listen to episode 153 of High on Film for more with writer-director Ryan Jaffe. We talk about this is happening. We talk about I'm going to get you, sucker, and many more. And now, now that you've heard that, it's time to go back to the show. (laughs) 
And we're back high on film right in the middle of milking it for how to lose a guy in 10 days. Brendan, you are going to reimagine this as a buddy cop movie for us. Okay, so to start out, I want to let you know that Kate Hudson's been replaced by Emily Blunt. Thank God. Which is very important for the synopsis. She's a seasoned FBI agent working on infiltrating the cartels and bringing them down from the inside. He's a Texas marshal who watches the border like a hawk looking for drug mules and crooked coyotes. They both have the same drug lord in their sights, El Jefe. She has been undercover for several years, long enough to become the fiancé of a mid-level soldier in the cartel. He's under investigation after his department planted evidence to make him look like a crooked cop in an attempt to gain the trust of the cartel. Because they're both deep undercover, when they happen upon each other in a Juarez bar, they each think to use the other as an asset. They begin dating, each thinking they are using the other, which of course is interrupted by angry actors on both sides looking for a fight. Her boyfriend tries to have him assassinated. His fellow marshals storm her apartment thinking she's planned an ambush. Ultimately, they realize they are both trying to take down the same elusive drug lord and have been using each other the whole time. After a very humorous uh, moment where they realize uh, what they've been duping each other, they team up using their looks and know how to bring down Mexico's most infamous drug lord in How to Find a Drug Lord in 10 Days. <laughs> lovely. Uh, lovely little references to Sicario there. Yeah, I, uh... great movie. So, see that movie, not this one, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and McConaughey as a Texas Marshal is perfect. Yeah. Perfect yeah. casting. And I'm sorry, what was the title again? Um, How to Find a Drug Lord in 10 Days. In 10 Days, correct. Co that is correct title. <laughs> <laughs> That's a correct title, Brendan. Great job. Thank you. I, I like that a lot. <laughs> uh, I'm glad the movie is a movie, not a comedy. Uh, Brad Davis, you drew this sequel... We've all been waiting. Here we are, what, uh, almost uh, 13 years later? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I forgot what year this movie was. Bear with me. Um, <laughs> so we have McConaughey and Kate Hudson, Ben and Abby, and it's their wedding day. And Abby's sister, uh, played by Julia Roberts, is in town for the wedding. <clears throat> She's one of the bridesmaids, because Catherine Hahn's the maid of honor. Mm -hmm. um, and she's in town, and she's fresh off a divorce, and she's sworn off men, and she's unhappy to be there today because of this, but she's just resided herself to being alone for the rest of her life. She's in one of those moments. Now, on the other side, we have McConaughey's best friend from childhood, Tom Hanks, who's also in the wedding party, and he uh, has just been left at the altar recently. And he's sworn off women, and he's going to live the rest of his life alone, too. And so, of course, on their wedding day, they need something more than just the wedding because of their their spirited gambling problems. Um, <laughs> so Kate Hudson and Matthew McConaughey make a bet on which one they can get to make the move first between these two to try to set them up. And the way they're going to know this in their sinister ways is whichever room, if, if they hook up, whichever room they end up having sex in means that person invited them up to their room. And that's the, that's the way. Convoluted, just like how to lose a guy in two days. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't get rid of the convolution. Yeah, that's, yeah, I, you you. got to keep it true. You got to keep it true. It's a sequel. Um, so of course they start, you know, they start finding ways to get them together, even though they resist. They start falling for one another, and of course they find out that this was all a bet, and they are mortified that they finally <laughs> start finding someone, and they think both of each other was in on the bet, and uh, they they leave the wedding, they storm out of the wedding. And, of course, they end up going to the airport and being there at the same time, at the same gate, because they didn't even realize they live in the same city. <laughs> so they agree to go back to the <clears throat> wedding. They, are, of course, fall in love, and they spend the wedding, uh, you know, together and see Abby and Ben get married. And that's, that's it. All right.
and it's called How to Get a Guy in One Day. <laughs> Thank you so much for creating roles for older actors in Hollywood. <laughs> that's mm. that they've been. I know Julia Roberts and Tom Hanks have been struggling, so <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm here for. That's pretty good. Uh... Pretty good additions to the cast, though. Go with your top rom-coms. I almost went with you, Grant, mm. but I, I figured... Tonic's a bigger box office draw. Yeah, and we can we can redo Larry Crown this way. Mm. Huh? There we go. Larry Crown. Uh, I have an epic adventure, if you're ready. Ready. Okay. So, uh, it's set in the at the turn of the century, uh, from 1799 to 1800. We're dealing with uh, the New York aristocracy. Uh, and we started a big lavish party, and... Uh, uh, ben and then some some of his millionaire friends, um, knickerbockers, if you will, uh, are uh, discussing the new invention of the hot air balloon uh, and how much they uh, doubt it. But but Ben McConaughey is like, no no, trust me, this is a, this thing's gonna revolutionize travel. He loves it. Uh, so they end up. Oh, he also wants the guy uh, Robert Klein. I guess we'll keep him in the in the movie. He'll be the guy who's making this bet, which I'll talk about in a second. Has a daughter who um, he wants Matthew McConaughey to, to marry. He's like, look, you know, it's a different time. He's trying to arrange this marriage for his daughter. Matthew McConaughey is hesitant, to say the least. Doesn't really, you know, kind of a confirmed bachelor. Um, so they make this challenge. Listen, I'll tell you, you make it around the world in this hot air balloon, uh, and you, you're free. I'll give you some money. You can go on living your life. But if you don't, if you fail, I want you to settle down with my daughter here in New York and then be... The son I've always wanted, blah, 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 blah. So McConaughey takes this bet. He amasses his team to go around the world. And uh, unbeknownst to him, Robert Klein has hired another girl to be a saboteur along the way. Uh, Andy, if you will. And uh, so they start uh, around the world. And um, Andy is you know, trying to sabotage this trip at every chance she gets. High-flying adventure ensues. Uh, and I guess the question is, will Andy and Ben fall in love before they fall out of the sky? And, uh, I'm already regretting my title, but, uh, Inflated Intentions. <laughs> Why didn't you call it Around the World in Ten Days? Yeah. Because it's not, it's longer than ten days. <laughs> yeah, I figured you were gonna work that into the title. I almost summer. did, but I couldn't decide. I almost went with, like, 99 red balloons and made it, like, a balloon race oh. or something. I wanted to get a number in there, what but... A crazy movie. That's great. <laughs> I love it. That I just that realized was your go to. Like, <laughs> that's where your mind went. That's where the eighty days, the ten days. Mind on balloons and balloons on my mind. You know. I also just realized you know I called her Abby in my film, and I think her name's Andy. In <laughs> that's why I always yeah. just say he is and she is because I never yeah. remember these characters' fucking names. That's why I say McConaughey and Kate Hudson. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Once you're done scoring, please pass your scorecards to the front of the class, and uh, here we are at the end of McConaughey. Of course, there'll still be a week left. Of the, of the great month, but um, as far as the podcast is concerned, this is it, guys. Any regrets from this McConaughey? Anything that we didn't mention? Any movies you really want to try to check out before the end of the celebration? I mean, there's certainly movies I have to see. I, I, we did not bring up, and I think it's important to note, that both in The Wedding Planner and this movie, McConaughey has some very, I don't want to say rapey moments... But he mentions it in Wedding Planner, like opportunity presented itself, if you recall. And then there's this movie where he gets punched in the face, falls to the ground, and Kate Hudson's helping him. And then he takes it upon himself to just start rubbing his face in her chest. 
and we, it's we've come a long pretty way. Inappropriate. I, I just feel like ten years ago we were so much further back than I remembered with that sexual politics. That's true. That's very true. And I wonder, I'm thinking maybe 10 years from now we'll feel the same way about racial politics. Like, maybe, you know, last decade was the decade where we finally moved the ball forward a little bit on that stuff. I, I hope. Hopefully. But yeah, the 90s, I mean, I know that was early 2000s, but I think the 90s in general just did, were, were pretty regressive uh, era, looking back on it in that regard. Yeah, certainly rom-coms. I mean, this movie... Does this movie pass the Bechtel test? I mean, Wedding Planner did. No. But I don't think no. this one does. Is there any scene where, what, two girls... Are talking about anything but a man. That's uh, tough because the articles are, te- like... That, <sighs> what, so they don't have lives outside of... No, the article talk isn't necessarily about men. But the articles are dating articles, so... Yeah, so they kind well, of... Well, no, they, they, they do have a scene where they talk about wanting to write about politics instead of writing about lifestyle. Oh, yeah, that's true. Okay, there you go. Check. And uh, the scores are tallied. With that check mark, here they are. Brad Davis. Yeah. Third place. All right. 15.95. That's That sounds right. You, after you've had, a, I feel like, a streak of wins I've here. had a good run. No, yeah. no, that's fine. I knew my, my impression was going to... Drag me down this game. Well, and that's the way it goes. Happy McConuary anyway, Brad. A pleasure to be a part of it. <laughs> now, Brendan, I, I mean, I scored 16.2. Okay. You now, I think, can officially call yourself a McConaughey expert with 17.5 points. Wow. And the win. Another McConuary win. Checked well, up to you. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> Good. Um, let me just say that, you know... When I think about winning both McConuaries, I think about myself five years from now winning McConuary again, and I see myself five years after that winning again, but each time admiring the person who won five years prior on that McConuary. Mm, poignant. I think, <laughs> I think the most important thing here is to remember is while you accomplished something great, there's no way you could have done it without Matthew McConaughey. He's the real winner here. <laughs> yeah. We all are for being able to enjoy the man, the myth, the legend. Matthew McConaughey. All right, all right, all right. That's it, guys. That's the show. Uh, guys, thanks as always for your time, your patience, your gift of McConuary to this podcast. Mm. Uh, Brendan, anything to plug today? Um, you can find me on Twitter at Muddy... Muddy eh. You can find me on Twitter at Muddy Creek U, and uh, I'm writing a lot about the Republican debates at VH1, which has been fun. Uh, and any other writing I do, you can find there. Awesome. Thank you very much, sir. Brad? At BD, always GP on Twitter and Instagram. That is it. I'm at Cross Maxwell. The show is at High on Film across your social media bowls. Uh, and that's it. Happy McConuary, everyone. Tweet at us. Email us at thehighonfilmshow at gmail.com. Let us know what you're doing for McConuary, what you think of How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. Um, we also have a buzzed-off film of 13 Hours, the Michael Bay Benghazi movie, The Labyrinth last week, part one of McConuary, two weeks before that with The Wedding Singer, and two years of McConuary episodes in the books, all at highonfilm.com. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next week with a brand new guest and a brand new movie. Just keep living. Goodbye. Come on. It was a beautiful name. Mm.